Hands up if you've ever been round to Janine and uh, Ben's house. Whew, look out. <laughs> it's fantastic. It's alive with stuff going on in there. So we want to just ask them to speak to us this morning. Thanks, guys. Can you see Janine over the top here? Um, hello, I'm Janine. Um, and uh, John Stas just asked us to share some of our um, experience as parents. So I just want to preface my remarks with the fact that my oldest child is only 15. So, you know, I'm still learning too. Um, when I had Ethan, um, I'd done six years of uni and then worked for two years and then suddenly I showed up at church and people would say things to me like, hi, do you want to go and sit in that smelly room that smells of nappies? And I'd think, why would I? And it was really hard to go to church when we first had um, little kids with us. It's really, really hard, isn't it, to keep coming every week. And I just wanted to encourage you to keep coming, even when it's really difficult. And even when you haven't had much sleep, there's a wonderful thing called the Macca's drive-through, and you can drive through there on the way and get a coffee um, to keep you awake. And um, if your kids have odd shoes on, that's fine. And if they're still in their pyjamas, you know, and then they can come and they can make a noise and run around because what you're teaching them is a habit, and that is to come to church. And one day it'll be normal for them to do that, and you'll actually be able to sit there and enjoy it a little more and watch everyone else do that hard stuff too which is a bit of fun. Um, one day my brother came to my house and Ben was at work um, late. I said, I'm going to give the kids a devotions. Watch how the devil stops me. And he said, what? I go, you watch. The kids were all sitting there on the couch. They were really quiet and settled. I got out the Bible. I started telling them the Bible story. Someone stubs their toes. Somebody else has a coughing fit. Somebody else starts laughing about the coughing fit. It all went to pieces. And you have to persist because this is what happens. It, it can be hard, but keep going. Um, one woman in the Bible I'm particularly inspired by is the mother of Moses, Jochebed, I think you say her name as, because she really, really had to trust God with her child under the most dire of circumstances. And it says in Hebrews that she didn't, she wasn't actually afraid of the king's edict of infanticide which is quite amazing. And she put her child in the most dangerous place of all, which was in like a, a little mini Noah's Ark in a crocodile-infested river with a small child watching over. And that was the most remarkable story. And out of her faith and her trust for her child, God gave her back that child and she was paid to raise her own child. And... I've, it just reminds me that there are times with our children when we're trying to witness to them and bring them to Christ, bad things will happen. And we'll have times where God might even call us to do some slightly dangerous things like go overseas as a missionary. But you need to put your Moses in his basket and God will take care of him. So just trust him to God or her to God and put your head on the pillow and say, God, my Moses is in his basket. And the last thing I wanted to say, and I hope I'm on track here, John, with my talk, I wanted to encourage you that, as Dr. Zeus says, bang-ups and hang-ups will happen to you. And we all know that it's lovely if children are raised in a home with a loving mum and dad and you've got enough money and everything's rosy and you've got a great job, but that is probably not 
everybody's um, current circumstance. And when um, I was born, my dad had just come out of the psychiatric ward and he struggled with mental illness and has for many years. And this um, comes with lots of um, financial hassles and stuff like that. But my family taught me the Bible. And if you teach your children the Bible, it will mitigate against a lot of other circumstances in your life. And I just wanted to encourage you with that because sometimes you think when my family's got it all together, then we can really teach them the faith. But if you teach your kids to trust the Bible and know the Bible themselves and answer their questions, go and buy what's in the Bible and play it all day, take them to Colin concerts, whatever you have to do to answer their questions, then they'll build their faith on the scriptures and not on you. Um, so that's just what I wanted to say. Anyway, Ben's going to say something. Thanks for asking us up here. It's a bit daunting. Uh, as many of you know, raising godly children, raising children can be very challenging. And patience is more than a virtue, it's a necessity. And uh, I thought I was a patient person until I had children. And your whole timetable is flipped on its head. You, your newborn doesn't know if it's day or night. You quickly learn why sleep deprivation is a form of torture. So you just pray for more patience and the Lord will answer your prayer and you just keep going and you just learn to be, you have to learn to be more patient. As a father, I've had to learn to be more of a servant um, and being a father is a lot about sacrificing uh, time and energy for your wife and kids and um, guys, you probably know that doesn't always come naturally. Uh, I think that raising children to know and follow the Lord has a lot to do with, with modelling behaviour. It's about showing our kids uh, the way we want them to act and react. Um, dads, your, ch your children learn uh, what it means to follow Christ by watching you. They learn to pray by watching you and then copying you. Uh, they can learn to sort out problems by watching you and how you deal with problems. They can learn to panic um, by watching you. Um, and as they get older, they'll learn... Uh, what to do is they see you praying through challenges that you face in the normal everyday things of life. So um, at the dinner table at night, tell them about the conversations you've had um, with non-Christian people that day and, um, and they'll learn through that. Also show them what to do when you make a mistake. Um, you apologise and you ask for forgiveness. If you respond to your children in a harsh manner, then you need to acknowledge that and you need to apologise. Um, it can also be easy to let work emails and unpaid overtime at work um, to eat into time when, that you should spend uh, with your kids. Uh, it's also been a real blessing to have close friends that have helped to regularly pray for our kids uh, from before they were born. And um, I guess I, I pray for my own kids, pray for their physical protection, pray for their spiritual protection, uh, that they would grow clo closer to the Lord each day. And I guess the challenge is who, who, which children should we be praying for um, on a regular basis? And just quickly, um, in Deuteronomy 6, there's some great verses about how it, I guess the teaching of the Lord was then passed from one generation to the next. 
And Moses instructed them, go and, uh, the Lord your God directed me to teach you and observe those things so that your children and their children after them may fear the Lord. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. So a modern translation or adaption might be when you're sitting around um, with your kids, when you're driving to school, when you're um, tucking them into bed at night. So you just constantly. And those teachable moments uh, with your children can happen at any time. And also they'll happen at really inconvenient times um, when you've had an exhausting day at work and your child needs to write a report about saltwater crocodiles or late at night your teenager needs to talk about issues at school. Deuteronomy 11. Remember that your children were not the ones who saw and experienced God's discipline or saw and experienced the things he did in Egypt. It was not your children who saw those things. So I guess I, we tell them secondhand the things that we have experienced and then we pray for them that they will see and experience those things firsthand for themselves as well. So just keep trusting, keep going. Where were you 25 years ago? <laughs> I could have done with some of that advice, thank you. Uh, that's terrific. Uh, Nat Otterson's been here for a number of years. And we've asked Nat to talk about his experience in the university life as to how does he follow Jesus in the university life? What are the, the things that happen? Uh, what does there too? So thanks, Nat. Let me enjoy to hear from you. Uh, good morning, church. Um, so as a first-year uni student at Australian Catholic University, you'd think it'd be fairly easy to talk about Jesus. I mean, it's a Catholic university. But it's not, at least for me. I found it difficult uh, to share my faith because I've never really been very confident in talking to people about it. And I also feared what uh, my peers would think. Um, I think this can sometimes be a trap that all university students can fall into because we like to blend into the crowd and be one of them. Um, and in social situations, that happens a lot. And when you're in a class of... 150 or more students, you're the minority in the classroom. You're by yourself or maybe two others at most. Um, so, and I wish I had shared it earlier, my faith, because I discovered during camps like state youth games that some of my peers were actually Christian. And like me, they had chosen to fit in and not talk about their faith. Um, during my first term, I discovered that there is a Christian group called CONC, which stands for Christians on Campus. Um, this group runs at ACU and Melbourne Uni, so it's a joint thing. Uh, they have a stand, which uh, I have become a part of, and we basically just hand out flyers and talk to people about God as they pass through on their day. Um, we also have social events like dinner things, um, a games night. We also run Bible studies on Mondays and Fridays, so depending on your timetable, you can go to one or the other kind of thing. Um, and while it can be difficult to share the gospel in the university setting, 
it is being shared because people are asking questions about him when they stop at the stall, and even not when the stall is there. Um, yeah. So just please pray that the students, and myself as well, that we wouldn't just become part of the crowd, that we would stand out and be proud to say that we are Christians. Um, and also pray for those who come to ask questions about God, that they would find him. Can I just, just ask, just for a moment, just thinking this would be a neat thing. If you're at school or at uni at the moment, can you stand up uh, for us at the moment? Because uh, I, I think we should pray for these people. Uh, these are young people. Many of them belong to Christ. Sorry? You'll sit down good on you, Tracy. Um, we should pray for these people. They are in that environment that's quite a difficult environment. And as Nathan, uh, Nat said, so uh, true. I did the same thing. You're at, at college and you're a Christian, but you weren't really sharing your faith. But to have courage to know that Jesus is with you, that he wants to be alongside you in that as well. So, folks, can we pray for these people right now? Let, let's, let's give them to God. Uh, Lord God, we thank you for these young people um, who are in universities and in uh, those institutions, Lord God, where it can be so difficult and things are being questioned, Father. Would you give them grace and would you give them strength in your word and knowledge of you that they might be able to speak clearly to people but to be a witness just by who they are, that people will see that there is something different about them, Lord God, and they might simply share why that is. Father, we thank you that you have saved many of these young people and we would pray for them and for strength for them as they go about their daily life and mission for you in these places, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Good on you. Thanks, young people. Thanks, Nathaniel. Um, there's a, a guy who's a very, very busy guy. He's actually done a little bit of work in my place. Everything that Andrew does, he does full on. He's right into it. Andrew, do you want to come and uh, join me? Andrew's going to represent people who are in the workplace and how they go about following Jesus as that time. Thanks, Andrew. Good morning, church. I'm actually interested in two things that have been said this morning. One is, whenever you look at a particular day, there's lots of things that are going to go wrong. And number two, prayer. So in prefacing that, just give, I'll give you a bit of a background to, to myself. Um, I am very much a task-oriented person. But one of the things I learnt when I was 46 is that I'm dyslexic, actually severely dyslexic. And it actually has shaped me very much through my education and through my work life. Um, I've got a background in chemistry and marketing and I've spent some time doing some R&D in plastics, R&D in pharmaceuticals. Um, I've looked uh, into analytical uh, instruments, spent a bit of time in venture capital, developed a web applications business, and at the moment I'm actually involved in laboratory ro robotics. But I've spent a long, long time working, but never really understood what work is all about. And I must admit, God has been really patient with me over many, many years. I actually thought that work was all about making money, looking after my family, um, maybe getting a bit of satisfaction for myself. And it's taken me a long, long time to understand that work's all about for the glory of God. Just, um, I want to give you a couple of little illustrations of what some of the things that have happened to me. And I've got to say that God has been very gracious and very, very patient with me over a long period of time. The first one is actually a really positive one. When I first started um, uh, work, I had just been out of uni. I was working down at the petrochemical plants down in Altona, uh, doing some uh, R&D on plastics. And I, not soon after I got there, they had a luncheon. 
and I got invited out to this luncheon of all these really big bods, um, fairly high-powered business people, etc. And when I sat at the table, what was put in front of me was uh, jugs of beer. Now, as I was in my late teens and early 20s, I spent a fair bit of time with underprivileged kids. And one of the things I actually worked out was that alcohol was a real problem for these kids. So I'd actually made a stand not to drink. Well, I'll tell you what, in business, if you sit at a table and you don't drink, there is some questions that are asked of you. And I actually got a real grilling. I was just out of uni. It was pretty tough. And I got a grilling about it. And I was asked why I didn't drink. And I explained to them that I was a Christian. I'd worked with kids that um, had problems in the home with drink, etc., etc. And so that was it. I got a few questions over the next 18 months or so while I was working in that factory. But then um, after, after I'd left there, about six to eight months later, I got this telephone call from this guy that I'd worked with there. And he said to me, oh... He said, Andrew, and his name was John. He says, John here. I've just actually been over to America. I said, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, fine. And he said, oh, on the way back in the plane, I was sitting next to a guy just like you. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, oh, he was a Christian. And he actually led me to the Lord. And the first thing he said that I thought of when I, um, when I came to Christ, he said, I've got to ring Andrew. And it's just amazing how sometimes God uses situations like that. Now, I didn't say anything um, incredibly fancy to them, to them at all. All I did is just stood my ground and explained what, why I was, who I was, and he said, "Fine, okay, I understand that." And then, um, and then that had obviously a bearing on him down the track. The second one is more of a negative, um, I guess, in my life. And uh, around about 15 years ago, I started a web um, applications business, and we were doing really well. Actually, I was riding high on the whole thing, and. One day I had an issue with my business partner and it got to the point where I had decided on that particular day that I was getting out, that was it. I, I just had way, way um, too much. And later on my wife told me that she'd been praying about that particular situation for a long, long time beforehand. And it actually said to me how much prayer really is responsible for our children, our spouses, our family, our friends and how important that is in directing us in the right direction. And I've got to say that if you've got issues that are going on on a daily basis, get down on your knees and ask your family and friends to get down on their knees as well for for what's going on in your life. Anyway, so I was out of work. And I'd always really wondered what it was like to be in a situation where you had no work. And I must admit, as a male, that was actually incredibly difficult because, to me, work was shaping me and had shaped me for many, many years. The other thing that I actually had an issue with is that my wife, um, uh, uh, Sally, is um, really a full-time missionary. And so it was my responsibility, I thought, as the male in the family and as the head of the family to make sure that my family was looked after. I actually also didn't understand why people um, find it so difficult when they're out of work. In a very short period of time, I'd lost my identity and, in fact, I became relatively depressed about it as well. And I actually understood very quickly after that that your identity can't be in your work. It can't be in your family. It can't be in 
I think, anything that you do except for in Christ. I had a couple of um, situations from that where God had just laid work in front of me, work after work. One job had finished, the next job would start. One job had finished, the next job would start. One of the elderly uh, men of our church pulled me aside one day. He actually gave me a grilling and told me it was my responsibility to sort myself out. And I've got to say, I was actually in the wrong place. I had chased after something that probably I should never have ever chased after, after in my workplace. You've got to re- remember, I love work. In fact, I really, really love work. I love going to work. I love the challenge of work. Every day I, I probably deal with, you know, 50 emails plus a whole stack of other things that are going on around the place as well. But I've, I think I've learnt that really that time with, with God every day to get yourself back into perspective is really the key to being able to fathom and put together everything that's going on and to understand that God's in control. So I want to leave you with a, with a verse, and it's a really, really well-known verse in Colossians 3.23, and it says, Whatever you do, work with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive the inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ that you are serving. God's more interested in our relationship with him than our work, our family, our friends, all that stuff falls into place once our relationship with him is sorted out. And just thank God that he is able to actually shape us every single day. And there's not a single day that I think I go by now where um, he is making his mark in my life personally in things that are going on. And, uh, and I just thank uh, God for my church family and for my family particularly and for what they do in my life as well. Thanks, Sean. Uh, thank you uh, for those great reminders, particularly that when things are tough, we know who we're working for. We're not working for the boss. We're working for God uh, each time. And, and I want to encourage particularly men, if you're in that situation, to get down on your knees. Thanks for that reminder again, Andrew. We need to stay on our knees in our workplace, to stay on our knees at home with things that are going on in our workplace as well so that we can be a light uh, in those places. Can we play for, uh, pray for uh, men and for women? Uh, there's a, I know there's single women that are working too for the same purpose, for, for looking after that, that household as well. So can we pray just briefly uh, for them too? Let, let's pray together. Maybe, again, you have somebody specific in mind you want to pray for. Father, we thank you first of all that, that you give us jobs so that we're able to, uh, to work and to earn some money to be able to look after families, Lord God. But we would pray that we might be on mission for you, Lord God, that we might see simple things that we can say and do simply because we belong to you and we trust in you. Lord God, would you give us courage to speak up when we need to, to say something simple which may lead to a question, which may lead to a question, which may lead to them knowing you. Father, help us because we cannot do these things ourselves. We are weak, but with you we are strong. We thank you again in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Andrew. Appreciate that. Um, Tony, Tony, do you want to come join us? Tony's representing... Well, he's not too far gone yet. He's not an old man. 
he's not at the stage where, you know, the, um, where the, the old story, the, the, the little kid who comes up to uh, his grandfather and says, can you make a noise like a frog? He says, why is that? He said, because my dad said, when you croak, we're all going to Disneyland. <laughs> so, so he's not quite at that stage. He's not, he's not quite at that stage. But Tony uh, is representing for his grand uh, parents and how to be following Jesus as a grandparent, but also maybe in sort of semi-retirement. I don't think this guy's ever going to retire, but uh, thanks, Tony. Looking forward to hearing from you, mate. Croaking, eh? Um, wow. <clears throat> All these um, talks have just resonated with me. They, there's so much truth in everything that, that I've heard this morning. Um, and it's really like I'm just doing a little postscript or summary of, of what people have said. Um, I'll just start with a word of uh, scripture and then finish with a word of scripture because I think that that's the thing that really impresses on me now that, that, that if, if, um, if I think of God as the beginning and ending of my day, then that will be um, a successful day. So I'm going to just talk about a verse that's been with me perhaps now for eight or nine years. It's a tiny little part of the verse that, that Paul mentions, but it, it's just the gospel complete. And it basically says to these people at Philippi, this is what the gospel's about. And Paul says, they're, they're arguing about all sorts of ways of living, and he says, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. And that really imp- impacted on me about eight or nine years ago, and I thought, what's, what's my life about? <clears throat> Strangely, a little bit later, he says, what counts is a new creation. And I thought, that's not different. That's actually saying that in another way, isn't it? That you're born again, that your life has got a new direction. So that's a starting point. Can I say, um, when I was asked to do this retirement grandparent thing, that there was a good educational term called cognitive dissonance. My mind doesn't quite agree with the idea that I'm an old guy. And um, I think my mind is saying, I'm still 20, you know, I've got it all. But uh, my body refuses to come to the, to, to the, um, to the bargain there. It, it's not t- t- keeping up its end. Um, and I'd like to clear up a, a couple of points. Um, even though I'm, I'm so-called elderly, um, I ought to be wise and mature and rock solid in my faith because I've been a Christian for over 50 years now, but I'm not. Um, in fact, the more I learn about my faith, the more I know I, I just don't know stuff, you know? It's like, oh, where did that come from? I've read this how many times? And suddenly God's saying, this is what I'm saying to you from this piece of scripture. Like, it's fresh all the time. Don't ever think that the Bible, I've read that or I know that. It's always new. It's, it's just amazing. It's, it's really an infinite source of wisdom. And every time I read it, and I don't know how many years now I've been reading the Bible from start to finish as part of my... Um, my night readings, my morning ones are different, but I'm just wanting to go all the way through. And every time I think, haven't I read this before? But it's saying something different and, and the Bible is always fresh. <coughs> so I, <coughs> I'm a grandparent. 
Um, my children are adults. And um, what um, we heard earlier is, is so true even now. Um, my greatest witness to them is how I live still. It's not what I say. It's, it's what I do. It's how I treat them. Um, and you have to absolutely be consistent with your, your faith because people can see through uh, what you say by what you do. And so doing is so much more important, being consistent with your faith. Um, and surprisingly, when you are consistent, when, when you're um, the person who says, oh, I've made a mistake or I'm wrong or this is the area I need to work on, um, you can talk about your faith with your kids and, and they'll ask you questions. And um, not only that, and this is the thing that I really cherish now, uh, being able to talk about my faith means that I can learn from them. And I do learn from them. Um, my children teach me a social conscience. Uh, I've, I haven't um, been anywhere near um, as effective a Christian in terms of social awareness and the needs of, of um, other people. Uh, they teach me the importance of having non-Christian friends. Um, I think when I grew up in a Christian, it was a very closed enclave and, and to have non-Christian friends is so essential for Christians because who are you going to witness to? Who are you going to share your faith to? So um, if, if there's anything I can encourage you is to um, mix with non-Christians and get to know them and realise that they are, are really needy. Um, so they're my grandchildren. Um, my grandchildren are just a delight to me and, and if you're a grandparent you know what that means. It, they're just um, so wonderful to, to come and, and to, to love you, to, um, to draw near to you and again we um, are just um, people who love our, our grandchildren um, and, and spend time with them and I think probably my wife Barbara does that much better than I do. Uh, she just um, always gives herself to them and that's a, a lesson for me as well. Um, and apart from loving them, what do you do? Well, you pray and we've heard that, haven't we? And prayer is, is so amazing because um, it's about God's will and I heard this morning um, at the first service about whatever we pray for, it's uh, our loving Father who knows what's best for us and uh, sometimes we don't get what we want because it's not best for us and um, his sovereign will is, is the essential thing there. So finally I want to talk about retirement and this was my great step two years ago to retire from work. Um, after teaching for uh, 30 years you actually do look forward to not teaching <laughs> Um, and I love teaching, but it's all the other stuff that used to drive me crazy. Um, I still love teaching. Um, so my, my life has been, if I went through my life story, it's been a series of um, when I pray, I'd say this sort of thing like, God, this is the direction that I think I should be getting going. And so often, and it's it's a beautiful thing that, God does because he is a, a loving father he gently and then sometimes not so gently nudges me in the right direction um, and I could go through lots of instances of that where I'm saying this is the way for me I'm definitely not doing that and I end up doing that because that's what 
God had for me. Uh, but I'll give you one example. Last year, uh, my first full year of retirement um, was spent travelling and um, I had uh, some medical issues I had to clear up and I was really busy doing all these things that were on my list. And um, early this year I thought, you know, you don't really ever retire. So I thought I'd pray about it and seek some clear guidance uh, from God about um, being more proactive in my faith. Um, And I decided again, this is me, and it doesn't change uh, whatever people say. It's still the same uh, sinful inclinations. I wanted to do something that I thought would have been um, God's will, and so I had all these plans for uh, MMM or that sort of thing, you know, something that sounded fairly um, interesting. But it definitely wouldn't have anything to do with schools or teaching. You know, I sort of definitely not that. So I prayed about it. And I'm not sure if it was the same day or the next day I got a, a phone call from the principal of my school. And the moment I heard her voice, I thought, you know, this is you know, a tap on the shoulder. <laughs> Um, and she said, how would you like to be the chaplain at our school? And it says, gulp, you know, this wasn't what I'd had in mind at all. Um, so I said, look, I'll get back to you. I'll talk to my wife about it and pray about it. I'll get back to you. But I was just thinking, this, this can't be right. But at the same time, I was... Um, in my readings, going through Jonah. And, you know, Tarshish is a long way away. (laughs) So I think God was telling me, wasn't he, that, um, you know, you mightn't think that this is what is right, but that's what I want for you to do. Um, And so I'm working now with lots of kids and troubled kids, and there are so many of them in schools. And I'm amazed at how easy it is for me. I've Heard a few weeks ago that um, some chaplains are finding it quite difficult to relate to kids. Well, I don't have that at all because they all know me. You know, I'm Mr. V, and um, they come up to me and they, I feel sometimes like, you know, I have to wave to everybody. But it's really easy for me to relate to with these kids. And so it's, it's, that's the first barrier gone, and so they can talk to me about uh, the personal issues and the, the things. And really, some of them are. Incredibly sad, incredibly sad. And so they definitely need somebody who cares and often a male who has um, care for them. So how do I sum up my mission? Well, I guess I go back to scripture. And this is um, a scripture that has probably been with me for a lot, lot longer. But it's still the constant um, striving of my heart. In Philippians, Paul says... I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, being like him in his death. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on towards a goal 
to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. Let's pray for grandparents and for retirees too, whatever that means. I don't think you ever retire in God's service, so let's pray for this this group of people. Father, we thank you that uh, you've given us um, lives, Lord God, and and we never get to the end of them until you take us, Father. And so we would pray for those who have grandchildren particularly, that the children might see what they are doing, not just what they are saying, uh, Father, that they might see that they um, belong to you, uh, that they might also follow that way. Uh, Lord God, would you help us to be productive as our life goes on, Lord God, that we might be useful in your service until uh, you take us home, we would pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Would you turn your Bibles and have... Uh, Shabu's going to come up and speak to us now from Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. Why don't you whip that up and uh, Shabu has just disappeared. Now, either the rapture's happened and I've missed out or he's gone somewhere else. Where is he? Oh, <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> Thank you, Shabu. Oh, that was fun, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, John does have a funny heart, so that was scary at the same time. So. <clears throat> well, um, welcome to Canterbury Gardens. Um, I've got to confess to you, I'm quite overwhelmed um, by uh, the stories, and I'm overwhelmed by this passage, so if I get choked up, you'll have to forgive me. Um, If you have Matthew chapter 28, and we're going to be looking at verses 16 to 20, uh, it's going to be a very familiar passage, so we're going to be moving very quickly through it. But Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20, I'm going to be reading from the ESV version. You might have your own version, that's fine. Um, You'll get a feel of what the actual passage is about. Let me read God's word. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Jesus, we want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you that it is alive and active. And we pray right now that as we sit here that you would wake our hearts up, that you would stir our spirit through your Holy Spirit, that you would remove the distractions that are going on in our hearts and soul to hear what you're saying to us individually but also corporately as a church. May it be for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I hope that you've been encouraged instead as you've been hearing these stories of people sharing. I know that I've been. I've been quite moved uh, hearing these uh, these individuals and, and couples share um, separately, but also sharing how God has been using them on mission. I hope you've been hearing what's been going on. Now, I've been given a task, and the task is to, to motivate you to go and make disciples. And this is at this point, as a pastor, is where I put on a, 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 a pedal called the guilt pedal. The guilt pedal is when I start making you feel really bad that you're not making disciples, and why aren't you doing it, and you should just get out there. Friends, um, that the point is, guilty sort of action will last for a little bit, but it will not transform, and it will only be for a season. 
Friends, my prayer is that this Sunday that whether you realize it or not, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, you are already on mission. And that this will be just another part of God's work in your life, a catalyst to join him in what he's already doing. To join Jesus in wherever he's called you, in whatever mission he's called you to. Now, these verses that I just read are probably one of the most famous verses in the Bible, in the New Testament in particular. There are mission organizations based on these verses. There are people who have read this and wept and have been moved and they've given up everything to go and do what exactly what these verses say. And then I'm guessing there are some of us, when we read these verses or hear these verses, we automatically go, oh yeah, Matthew 28 particularly 18 and 20, it's not actually for me. It's for those people, you know, those guys and girls who've been called away to a faraway land or those people who are those evangelists or those people who are the pastors of churches or those people who are really serious about their faith. I hope and pray that you've heard what Jesus is not just saying, he's actually commanding. That this is not for a select few. This is for everyone who deemed themselves as a follower of Jesus, a disciple. This is your mission. There's no option. You are part of this. And I think that we often forget that and we are caught up in everything that's going on in our lives. That's what happens. We've heard those stories with kids and retirement and different stages. There are things that will distract us from this big, great call and mission that we all have as followers and disciples of Jesus. And sometimes we forget to see that all of our life is about mission. The verses that we saw, just some things I want to leave with you. In verses 16 to 17, you have these two views that are going on. Jesus has been raised from the dead. He is risen. He is Lord. He's conquered sin and death. And he's about to talk to his disciples. And there are two people, two audiences that straight away you see. One, they respond in worship. And the other, they doubt. These are disciples who see it's not like uh, um, they worship God and they're moved by what they see in Jesus and they're moved. And there are those who doubt. This doubt is not like, I wonder if he's really alive. This is not the kind of doubt. This is the doubt of they're not really sure they want to follow this. They're not really sure they want to follow through with this. They're a bit unsure they want to actually commit to this 100%. They're unsure. And I think in many ways, this, this simple little uh, illustration, I think, is when I read this, I see it can be sometimes like us. We are also, there are all of us here who are moved to worship Jesus, and it's all about worship Jesus. It's good, but in some sense it's personal, and we keep it to ourselves. Yes, it's my personal relationship with Jesus. There are some of us who are like, yeah, I see it, but I'm not sure if we're going to fully commit to following Jesus that hardcore. It's only for some of us. But Jesus wants to address all of that. In verse 18, he says, all authority. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And this authority is to to lay a great foundation for anyone who's going to be a disciple, who's going to follow Jesus. That yes, he is the savior of the world. He is the king of the universe. Yes, he did die on the cross for your sin and my sin and then was raised again on the third day. Now he's seated in the heavenly realms on the right hand of the Father. He is the loving King, the loving Savior. But do not forget who he is, that he has all authority, which means he is King. He is Lord of your life and my life. 
This idea of authority is actually throughout the Gospels. We've been going through the Gospel of Luke and, and also in the other Gospels. There's this sort of idea and, and wording that constantly comes out. They see this wording, which is it's a bit strange. He, he teaches as if he has authority. And he displays that authority. And this is not some authority that just showed up when he was born. It's an authority that he's always had. Because he is God. And that his authority was totally 100% flexed as he was living in this world. Over sin, over death, over creation, over demons. Even the legalist religious guys. He flexed his authority. That authority still continues even today. This is the Jesus that we're called to serve. And that means that if you're a disciple of Jesus, you are under that loving authority. And it's a good authority. There's a Dutch theologian by the name of Abraham Kuyper. I hope I said his last name right. And he made this wonderful quote. It says, There is not one square inch of the entire creation about which Jesus Christ does not cry out, This is mine. This belongs to me. That includes every aspect of your life. Your workplace, how you raise your kids, how you interact with everything. Jesus calls the shots. Because he is king, he is Lord, he's the one who has loving authority of your life. And because of this authority, you see in verse 19, right? He, he says, now go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. He calls them out under this authority. He says, now go, you're my disciples. Go make disciples. Now, often what we do is that we just focus on this idea of going. Yeah, now just go. Yes, that's there. But the real focus is making disciples. That's the whole focus of those verses. Jesus is saying, ultimately, as you're going, wherever you're going, make disciples. And when you're making disciples, it's going to take time. It's intentional. But it also means that making disciples for some of us is here, local, in our backyard, for some of us to the ends of the earth. But as part of your discipleship or making disciples, it's not just going and talking about Jesus. intentional, it's relational. But not only that, you're baptizing them in the name of the Father, both literally, but also figuratively. It's talking about you're connecting people into the new family. Once they follow Jesus, you introduce them and they become followers of Jesus. You're inviting them into this family. Not only that, they don't just become followers, they become a son or a daughter of Jesus Christ. That is glorious. But you do that all under the authority of Jesus. And then you're sent out to make disciples. And this idea is shown in this powerful picture of of the Trinity being played out when Jesus says, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Everyone is involved in this mission. But Jesus says something very interesting. He said, don't just go and evangelize. He says, make disciples. Well, how do you do that? Well, You do that by teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Not some, all of it. Not the ones that you like, all of it. So Jesus says to his disciples, and if you are a follower of Jesus, you are a disciple. And he says to all of us to go, make disciples as you're going. Tell them, teach them, and live a life. It points them to God. 
But you're not sent out on your own. This is the good thing. Jesus says, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. This is to say that when you go and represent Jesus, wherever you are, and I hope you heard that today. When people talked about their workplace, when the people talked about their families, it's not like there's just God on Sundays or at small group. He's everywhere, all the time. That includes online, when you're on Facebook, when you're on Twitter, on Instagram. You are representing Jesus. As you do that, to understand that Jesus is with you. Through his spirit, he lives in you. And so he calls you to join in this mission. Well, what does that mean? Well, simply put, this means that God is not calling you to be an expert. He's wanting you to grow and mature in his faith. You rely on Jesus and his loving authority. And because of that, you live a life totally changed and turn around and you see everything differently. This means that if you're a mum, as you're going, make disciples of your kids. Be on mission with the mother's group that you're involved in. Be on mission with family members who don't know Jesus. Be on mission. Make disciples as you're going. Under the authority of Jesus, empowered by his spirit for his glory. If you're a dad, as you're going, make disciples of your kids. Make disciples of the people that you're involved in, in the soccer club, in the footy club. See that as your mission field. Because you're there to represent Jesus, not just to your kid. As a trader, that means as you head into your work site, don't just put on your tool belt, put on Jesus. Know that you're representing him in that place. In those moments when you're tempted to swear like everybody else or look at inappropriate things, you're saying to yourself, no, I'm here to represent Jesus. So you look for ways to disciple the men or the women around that you work with. If you're a business owner or a manager or you have significant influence in your corporation or workplace, your aim is to see that you are a disciple of Jesus serving in that context. And as you're going, make disciples looking for opportunities to have conversations, looking for opportunities to be praying. Two uh, uh, things that came to mind when I thought about this. Uh, Recently, my daughter Lucy was sick and... uh, we took her to the doctors and as often I try to get into a conversation with whoever I'm talking to and at that moment the doctor said to me, well, are you a Christian? And I said, yeah, I am actually. He said, well, that's awesome. So am I. And I'm like, oh, great. And I said, look, um, this is what's happening with your daughter. You just need to do this. I'm like, okay, cool. So, well, do you mind if I prayed for you? Now, I don't know if he's allowed to do that technically. But he knew, he checked all his balance and checks to make sure I was a Christian and all that. But he asked permission. See, that gentleman saw his workplace as a mission field. Another man that I know who works in the city, he works in the corporate world. He meets with other Christians to engage with how they can reach the corporate world. So they're talking about uh, having outreaches, but not only that, building relationships. There's one guy who works for British Petroleum. He's in a fairly significant position, so he has a bit of weight behind him in some sense. But he runs alpha courses for his corporate people. And there are people coming to Christ. Because his mindset is, I've been sent under the authority of Jesus to make disciples where I am. So how do you see yourself as a disciple? 
This means as you heard, as a student, you're going out as a disciple. You're not just there to get your degree. You're there to represent Jesus. We're all followers of Jesus. And as followers of Jesus, you are a disciple of Jesus first. Then everything else comes second. And so this means that we are called into a world that desperately needs it. And as you're going, wherever you are, to make disciples. So some things to leave with you as we finish up, as we move into communion this morning. One, to make disciples, you need to know something. One, do you know the gospel? Now, I know that sounds a bit silly talking to a bunch of Christians, maybe, but do you really know the gospel? Do you know how to talk to people about this is God's world and God created this world, it was perfect, and into this world sin came and uh, destroyed the world and destroyed people and sin is in everyone's heart and Jesus came and Jesus restored and redeemed and Jesus forgave and through him alone you can have relationship with God of the universe and what that means you have to put your faith in. If you don't, either you will uh, live in, in eternity without him and if you do, you live in eternity with him. And now he's called you to be a servant of his. Do you know the gospel? Do you know the basics of the gospel? Can you explain that to people? If you don't, can I encourage you? There's in the foyer, there's a little sign-up sheet that we're running in August to engage with people who don't know about the faith. How can you engage with them? Do you know the gospel? Get to know the gospel. And particularly in our post-Christian Aussie world, it's quite unaware what people think about the gospel. So get to know what the gospel is. Be realistic. Don't be legalistic about mission. What stage of life you're in? If you're a mum, you've got lots of things going on right now. The last thing you're thinking about is being on mission. So be realistic. Don't be legalistic. Think about uh, how you can redeem things. We all have meals. We have meals every day. We go to cafes, restaurants. We invite people over. Maybe part of inviting people, maybe just one couple or friend who's not a Christian. They might do that once a week. Now, I get a haircut once in a while. My temptation is to find the cheapest haircut place. But recently I've been convicted to go to one haircut place. Trust me, they're a little bit more expensive. I'd rather go to the cheaper place. But the last conversation I had with this lady, we were talking about Jesus. We got into a gospel conversation. My aim is to go back. So go to the haircut place, yes. Go to that one place. Build a relationship with them. A friend of mine... We're tempted at, particularly me, run through the easy sort of self-checkout. Can't be bothered. Self-checkout quickly. Get out of there. A friend of mine deliberately goes on the same day, the same time, goes to the same checkout to talk to that same checkout person. And over time, they're just building a relationship and they're talking about Jesus. Remember the season of life you're in. So be realistic about that. Go to the same cafe, go to the same cafe and order the same coffee to the same people. Get into conversation. This is what it means to constantly be thinking about mission. Most of you are online often, Facebook, Twitter, whatever. Don't just put statuses about how the cat's dancing, and that's really funny sometimes. But put status updates about what God's doing, good or bad. Be a witness. And finally... There are some of you for a long time have been tapering around in a world in where your sort of career and business and things were just fine. But you know God is calling you. He's prompting you. Little by little, he's been pointing you towards some sort of full ministry context. Listen to his call. Don't hang around for too long.
There are three pastors here who thought they knew what they were doing, where they were heading, and God changed that deliberately. So if that is what's going on in your life, please come and chat to us. We'd love to journey in that with you. And finally this morning, we want to finish in communion. The reason why we're doing this at the very end is to remind ourselves again, to remind ourselves again of the gospel, that we all here were lost, destined for an eternity without Jesus Christ in hell. That God in his grace sent his son who came, lived that perfect life that you and I can't live, died on the cross, paid the penalty for yours and mine, then raised again on the third day. And then he says, go, make disciples. In your brokenness, in all your mess, make disciples powered by my spirit for my glory. So this morning I'm going to give us a few minutes just to be still. Then when you're ready, I would love you to come up to one of the communion stations here. Grab the bread, and normally we sort of wait to have communion, but this time we're going to ask you to drink it when you're ready. But drink and eat in remembrance of what Jesus has done, but drink and eat in remembrance that Jesus has now sent you. This is why we're doing communion this way this morning. So I'm going to give you a few minutes to reflect and ask yourself, Jesus, am I being a disciple? And then when you're ready, I'm going to pray for the cup and the grape juice. Please come and partake of it. If you don't know Jesus, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, don't feel awkward. Feel free to just um, uh, not partake in it. If you are a follower of Jesus, you might not be part of our church. That's okay. But if you believe in Jesus, you have a relationship with him, we will welcome you to come and partake with us. Let me pray for us. Give you a few minutes to be still. Ask the question, are you a disciple of Jesus? Then I'll ask us to partake in a minute. Lord Jesus, we come and pause before you as a church. We ask the heavy question, are we being real disciples? Not just on Sunday and not just during small group or whatever church activity, but every day. For those of us who have not done that, we ask for your forgiveness and grace. For those of us who are being doing that in a different aspects in whatever stage in life, I pray that you will continue to encourage us to do that. But Lord Jesus, we do this in remembrance of you. The length that you went to save us, to give us new life. Yet, because of a great love that you don't just leave it there, now you say, go, make disciples. So, Lord Jesus, we partake in this bread. Thank you for dying for us. We partake in this grape juice as a remembrance of the blood shed for us and also the blood that cleanses us. And we do this in remembrance of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, When you're ready, there's like some stations all spread around. Please come and grab a grape juice or a piece of bread and partake and then just grab your seats again whenever you're ready. Go for it.